happening this week on your favorite soap opera. It's time to talk about all the daytime drama on Soap Central Live with Dan J. Kroll. Get ready for the latest soap news, scoops, and recaps. Now, here's Dan. Hey, soap fans. Welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll. I want to thank you all for tuning in today for what's going to be a really fun show. In case you haven't been checking your calendar, the countdown to the daytime Emmys has begun. In fact, we're just 15 days away from the ceremony. If you're not up on the latest daytime Emmy news, don't worry, we can fix that for you. Just head over to SoapCentral.com slash Emmys, and you can check out all of this year's nominees, the episodes or the reels that each of the nominees has submitted. And you'll also be able to check out some expert predictions from our panel about who we think is going to win an Emmy this year. And I do say we because I am, once again, part of the panel. Uh, my predictions don't necessarily always come true. In fact, sometimes you don't want me to predict you as the winner because it ends up being the kiss of death. But it's still, it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of great Emmy information over there for all of you to check out. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the young, restless, and outrageous world of soap operas. Coming up in the second half of the show, Michael Maloney will talk about his biography of the late William J. Bell, who, speaking of the Emmys, won nine daytime Emmys and was given the Lifetime Achievement Award in 1992. But up first, we all know that our favorite soaps have a tendency to sometimes, well, get a little crazy. But what are the most outrageous moments in soap opera history? I'm sure everyone out there has their idea, maybe more than one idea. And we've been asking that question all week on our Facebook page and on Twitter. So we have a list of some of the uh, storylines that you guys have suggested, but we'd also like to hear from you during today's show. So please feel free to give us a call toll free on our call in line at 866-472-5788. Again, it's 866-472-5788. And you can also follow along on Twitter at Soap Central Live and share some of your ideas there. My first guest this week is an expert on all things pop culture. And of course, when you're trying to keep track of the shenanigans of the rich and famous, it really helps to have a sense of humor. Fortunately, B.D. Freeman has got that covered, too. Now, if his name sounds familiar, it's probably because you've caught one of his numerous appearances on VH1 discussing things like shocking music moments and other celebrity happenings. He's here today to help me prove that the outrageous things that we see on the soaps aren't really that much crazier than some of the things that happen in real life. At least I hope so. <laughs> BD, welcome to Soap Central Live. Hey, what's up, man? What's happening in America and world? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for taking time out. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is every time something crazy happens on a soap, it seems that maybe a week or two later, something happens in the real world where they call it a soap opera or it seems even more outrageous and stuff that we see in fiction. So... I figure hopefully today you can help me prove that what I'm saying, that the soaps aren't too over the top. Hopefully you can prove that true today. That the soaps aren't too over the top? Well, you know, compared to some of our, <laughs> some of our celebrity let's moments. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's put it to the test. Well, we're, we're you think anybody at home right now is going, yeah, you know what? Soaps <laughs> are just not crazy enough. They're just, well, they're just not. This guy's right. This guy's right. You know, soaps are not too over the top. <laughs> okay, well, maybe they're not exactly saying that, but let me give an example of something that sort of popped off earlier this week. We had a model. Her name is Melissa Stenton. She was on a red-eye flight from New York or to New York, 
And she just happened to sit next to an actor who used to be on Port Charles. His name is Brian Presley. Uh-huh. And apparently Melissa said that he was hitting on her the entire flight and making advances and saying that they should do all sorts of things in the airplane. And what he didn't know is that she was live tweeting all of what he was doing. Mm. And, as it turns out, Brian is very much married in real life to his former co-star on Port Charles, Aaron Hershey Presley. So now we have this sort of scandal that's real life, and it's very soapy. Oh. Wow, man. Well, you know, he got busted out. You know, what's he going to do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is the, this is what happens with celebrity. You know what I'm saying? This is what happens. It's like if you're well-known and you hit on a girl in the airplane, the first thing that you have to do is go all out, which means you got to steal her phone. Just take it. Just reach out just grab it. Just be like, nah, girl, you can't have this. Now, now, now walk slowly to the bathroom. Well, I mean, I guess you don't expect that uh, Wi-Fi. I mean, Wi-Fi isn't that new on planes, so I guess maybe he didn't think that anybody would pay $20 to tweet during a plane flight. No, sometimes people just go, you know, man, I'm I'm a star, so, you know, I'm just going to get some ass on this plane. Like, that's really, <laughs> that's really where it's at. <laughs> I well, mean, come on, man. I mean, uh, everybody thinks about it. It's just that when you when you have celebrity, you know, you go a little bit farther with it because you feel like you can get away with it. You know, that's that's, that's just how it is, you know. You know, uh, well, it, it certainly is. I'm coming, you with thought the, about it, right? Sit next to a fine girl. You thought about I it. Well, just I, reaching I'm, out and grabbing her breasts. I try not to sit on an airplane next to anybody. If at ever possible, I try to just buy out the entire row so no one will ever sit next to me. Well, I'm a big guy, so I try to find, like, the most uncomfortable-looking <laughs> people and sit, like, right next to them. And then just start talking, try to eat an onion right before the flight. <laughs> I, that's yeah you can't really i mean they sell out the planes now you can't even really get up and leave if somebody is undesirable would be sitting next to you or somebody that smells or you hear you know stories yeah of, there's no there's nothing you can do anymore man i mean it's like you know it, it's funny because now that you know like we're, you know with with me on the greatest show and everything and everything going you know so uh, amazingly and whatnot it, it's like i go places and i get recognized and people want to sit and talk but I'm a talker, so I'll sit and talk to you. You know what I'm saying? So I never mind. Uh, uh, but, you know, every once in a while there is somebody who just, you know, goes over the line. You know, you're standing there, you're sitting there talking to them, and they're like, you know what I, you know what I really like? You know what I'm really into? The Klan. What about you? What do you think about that? Are you into that? Jesus. Cross-burning. What do you think? <laughs> like, I'm black, man. <laughs> I don't know that I would want to sit next to somebody funny on a plane. I have a feeling that that has the potential for all sorts of, of just craziness, and you have nowhere to go. I mean, where are you going to go on an airplane? Oh, that, you know what? The, the thing is, is that if you sit next to somebody, it's okay to sit next to somebody funny. What's bad is sitting next to somebody crazy, you know, when you have to sit next to somebody who's clearly just not there. But the key I found is that you just have to act crazier than them. Hmm. You know, no matter how crazy they are, you crazy it up and ante. You know, so you sit down and they're all like, "Hey, hey, uh, uh, you know, let me let me squeeze next to you just a little bit more because you know I get scared on airplanes." And then you just say, "Yeah, come on over." See, you know what? I I like to burn shit. Oh, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> can I say? 
Can I say that? I'm sorry. Oh, you can. It's the internet. We'll bleep it out later for anybody who's offended. It'll okay. Be oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm on my show right now, and I can say anything. I shouldn't do that. I feel like I can say anything, too, but I often don't. So, you know, you're talking about over-the-topping I, You know, I, I love to... the way you talk. You're so... <laughs> you are so proper. You are so proper. I'm trying you know, to I, I often would like to say things. I would. However... I don't. I hold it inside. <laughs> like, you are so proper. I love we're, it. We're taught early, don't cry out loud. Just keep it inside. When you say, when you say we, are things. you talking about white people? You no, know? I'm actually, I'm talking about me and my many personalities. I do watch soaps. Haven't you, you know, been encountering people on the internet? You're on Twitter. People who just aren't all there. They seem like one minute they're fine, the next minute they're crazy, the next oh, minute yeah. they're Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Like, you know, you find that mostly, though, with, like, women. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I don't want women to be offended, but they have to know this is true. You ever notice that a woman will tweet something that out on the, on, on, uh, the tweetosphere? She will tweet something that's really meant for only one person. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They'll tweet mm-hmm. something. It's so cryptic. It's like, you know, well, you know, if you use me, just remember that I might have to use a hammer. What? <laughs> the hell is this for me do i know you well imagine then dating someone who was possessed by the devil that happened in 1995 on days of our lives when mild-mannered dr marlena evans was possessed by the devil I think yeah, it was one I, yeah of the I caught some of those storylines i caught some of those man you know, you know, still, like, you know, we say, you know, okay, is it crazier than real life? I'm pretty sure that I dated a few girls that were possessed by the devil. <laughs> what makes like, you I, like, I, like, I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, my baby's mama is possessed by the devil. I'm pretty sure about that. So, that, that you know, that didn't really blow me away. I pretty much looked at those episodes as a documentary. <laughs> okay. I can see that. I could definitely see some people who that would be a little bit uh, close to home. But oh yeah, man, when you when you put somebody's name in your cell phone in your cell you know phone directory as Satan or Beelzebub, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I don't yeah, even I'm think pre- I can I'm pretty sure spell Beelzebub. What's that? I don't even think I can spell Beelzebub. You know what? It don't really matter as long as you know what that shit means. I guess that's true. All right? Just like your ringtones when you've got that phone set for that one ringtone that you don't pick up, you know what it means. I usually When the phone rings and it says, Beelzebub, don't pick that shit up. That's your baby's mama calling. Well, I'm still, one of the things that happen in real life that when you're talking about devil possessions and on the soaps, it seems sort of glamorous. We have something in real life where we have people eating each other's faces under overpasses because they're high on bath salts. I mean, that is far crazier than anything you'll ever see on a soap. Yeah, man. You know, I think, you know, the soaps have to, again, have to go up and ante. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't eat nobody's face. Like, eat somebody's asshole. Because nobody would think about doing that. That's They did that on Fear Factor. Did they? They they had uh that crazy you know, ass Joe Rogan. They had eating cow intestines and rectums and oh man, that's just called soul food, man. That's just called soul food. There was chitlins. What you talking about, man? They were raw. Well, sometimes people like them raw. 
But you, you ain't heard of chitlins tartar? <laughs> you can't eat everybody's chitlins. You will only you can only eat if you know that they've been prepared properly. That's true. So if you get some asshole in front of you and you know it ain't right, don't bite. Or at least use a little hot sauce. <laughs> a little hot sauce will take care of usually just about every problem, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking to see, of all of these uh, ideas that folks have submitted, which one really goes with eating faces. And I'm guessing none, but Guiding Light, 1998, they were ahead of the curve. They are, we, are, we, are we just going to leave eating faces that quick? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, is I that... Are you that are you that willing just to move on from eating somebody's face? Where I mean, where do you go from there? You've got that. You've got somebody in Canada chopping up people and sending them to Parliament. You've got Damn, also- yeah, I heard about that, and I heard about another guy who's eating himself. True story. Heard it on the radio the other night. This dude takes pieces of himself and eats it. Said it makes him strong. What is he eating? He's just eating pieces of himself, and it's uh, yeah, like cutting pieces of his skin off, eating it. You know, and then there's one dude who was a hermaphrodite, and he decided, you know, he went back and forth all of his life trying to decide, am I a man or am I a woman? I'm going to be a man or a woman. He decides he's going to be a woman, chops off his balls. And he sold them. Yeah, yeah, and sold them. And the dude that ate them, ate them with a nice, tangy sauce on it. You know, a nice, he had them glazed. He had glazed balls. Ate them up. I, you know, so people are, people are, I don't know, man, you know, people are afraid of the whole zombie thing right now. You ever hear, you does, hear that all the time? Zombie thing? That doesn't mean you have to become one. No, nah, man, that just means you on drugs. <laughs> you on drugs, man. You know what I'm saying? Nobody just thinks, I'm going to eat somebody's balls today with a nice glaze. Nobody thinks that unless you on drugs. A nice uh, red wine reduction? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And you know what? Gordon Ramsay would still yell and scream at them if they didn't cook the balls right. That's what's crazy. It probably is. I, I can't believe you didn't cook the balls properly. <laughs> Get out of my kitchen. I've made balls for 25 years. I've never tasted balls like the balls that you've made. Oh, gosh. I, you know... You're probably right. And this is all coming from, I don't even, this took from little Marlena Evans on Days of Our Lives. Little Marlena Evans. Eating balls on Hell's Kitchen. Eating balls. But you know what? It's good TV. Which one? Days or the ball eating? Any ball eating is good TV. Okay. Well. Especially if it's Marlena Davis. Come on. Or a Kardashian video. (laughs) Or. (laughs) Hell. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be the funny one on the show, but whatever. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so let's go from, oh gosh, we'll go from balls to cloning. Uh, I'm sure someone Cloning balls? A, a, a no, there's a thing. <laughs> you know, don't clone the whole guy, just clone his balls. <laughs> there, oh gosh. There's something there. You know, it probably it probably is, but they did on Guiding Light clone an entire person. They cloned Reva Shane. They had her clone. Her clone was named Dolly. Dolly tried to take over Reva's life, take her man, take her everything. And I have to think, if cloning weren't so far fetched, there are a lot of celebrities who behave badly, who really should 
start blaming a clone or an evil twin for some of their shenanigans. Oh, yeah, man. No, no. See, because then you just have two assholes out there doing the same thing. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Can you imagine the poor girl on her flight? Now she's got two dudes <laughs> she leaning like over. That, that might have been an okay. Or she might have been fine with that. E- each one has a breast cupped in their hands. You know, it's not... No, man, we can't clone, you, you, you know, we can't clone celebrities. Let's clone, like, cool people, like that guy you knew in high school who used to, like, put the tax on the teacher's chair, like that guy. Let's clone that dude, because at least he was fun. The guy that comes over and brings beer, that always brings beer to the party or brings chicks, <laughs> clone that dude. You know, that guy. that guy's providing a service. That guy's doing something. Clone the strippers down at the club. There we go. <laughs> celebrities okay. don't provide a service? Yeah, people who provide a service. Strippers. Clone them. You know? <laughs> you know, I, I think, oh, gosh, I'm looking. There, there are people who are all over the place on Twitter. I, I promised them that I would try to, uh, people are talking about John Travolta. Uh, ah, Travolta. Accidental uh, brushing of, of sure. massage people. Yeah. And in court, they said, now, did you, uh, did you actually touch this man? What? Did you touch him? Where? No, 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 did you touch him? When? <laughs> okay, that's an old reference. Welcome back, Cotter, Vinny Barbarino. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm sure we have, we, I'm sure there are people who are familiar with Welcome Back, Cotter. And they come were, on. They were, gotta, they were, go back, come on. They have to go back to the old school, uh, it's all before we were born, but still good stuff. <laughs> okay, Travolta, so yeah, that's... Travolta rubbing. You know, you know what I'm saying. I think the guy who got rubbed should be proud. It's not like some just random dude. It was Travolta, freaking Saturday Night Fever, man. You should have hung a disco ball in there and just went with it. Freaking <laughs> go with it, man. I how think deep, he was reaching for the disco love. ball. He was going for the disco balls. That was probably the problem. He was going for the disco. <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> cloned. They were cloned. They were cloned uh, balls. You know, I, I, I would be, I would be totally cool. I'd just be like, "Wow, John Travolta cut my ball sack." Like, would you tweet it? Sure. Okay. I go out to the bar and tell people get a free beer just for the story. Okay, so now that we've we've, I was going to say touched on John Travolta. That's probably <laughs> not the best. How come it's never? How come it's never like some hot chick, dude? That's what really sucks, though. How come nobody's like, oh my, I was given Halle Berry a massage, and all of a sudden she whipped mine out. I was so embarrassed. It's never like that. It's always like you know. I'm guessing that they're maybe more selective about who they let. Touch them. Men will let anybody touch them for the most part. Women are more selective. Yeah, man. That's true. Look, the guy just should have put on, if he had a problem with Travolta, he should have put on a blindfold and just thought it, just put on a blindfold and just thought of Halle Berry. Also, too, you have to keep it, I would imagine, if Halle Berry, it were to touch you, you would want it to maybe potentially happen again, so you wouldn't want to tell anybody that's that it happened. That's true. That's true. That's kind of like the stories I hear about, uh, like, uh, you know, high school kids who, like, get in trouble for sleeping with the teacher. <laughs> it's like, 
What the hell is the matter with you? Shut up. <laughs> and prison hell guards you, sleeping with, with inmates. Prison guards sleep with inmates all the time, it seems. Uh, well, you're talking about, like, the female ones, right? I mean, well, it you know, seems to be, yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, hey, hey, my gay brothers and sisters, if you're down with the, uh, go for that too, man. But like, you know, get in where you fit in. Hello, thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh gosh, get in where you fit in. Uh, I would gosh. never. I, I would if if I was banging my teacher, I wouldn't tell anybody ever. Like you would never hear that. My grandkids, maybe Whoa. they would know. Are you kidding me? That's not see. Now I, I disagree with that. If you're having sex with your teacher and you're still not getting an A, then I would have a problem with it. Oh well, I'm getting an A if I'm having sex with her. You know, <laughs> literally and figuratively, I'm sure. I'm getting an A. You know, <laughs> let me tell you something, man. At 16 years old, that seven seconds I would put in would be heavily. <laughs> Oh, everybody is reflecting back to see if seven seconds is an accurate uh, an accurate account of their first time, I guess. No, are you kidding me? All of our first times, you know, if you're a regular guy, it was with yourself. <laughs> and I didn't even know about Vaseline. I didn't have a father to tell me anything. So I was, you know, and you know that once you're in, you're like in. You know, you can't get out. You're doing it like 17 times a day. But... Sorry, my, I was reflecting. Uh, I my, guess uh, there was a moment of silence for everyone out there. I guess my, <laughs> my stuff looked like an old piece of beef jerky. Ah! Just hurt when you walk. <laughs> uh, well, hurt when you walk. I'm not entirely sure how this works as a segue, but possibly the most outrageous soap of all time was Passions. The entire series from 1999 till it ended in 2008. You had 300 year old witches. You had a doll that came to life and and uh, uh, sometimes was real boy and sometimes wasn't. It was like a real life Pinocchio. You had a whole yeah, that, lot that, of that stuff. Was, that, that was, you know, I, I did see some of that, man. That was a, come on, man. That, that had to be so degrading to little people. You know what I'm saying? That only, the only role you could think to give this dude is a doll. <laughs> come on, man. Well, what would you have wanted him to be? Well, I would have. I wouldn't have wanted him to be a doll anymore than I would have wanted for like the black dude to be a pimp, <laughs> a pimp doll. No, they were actually uh, hermaphrodites. Since you spoke about that earlier, there was a hermaphrodite on, uh, or an intersexed, I believe is the proper term, uh, someone who was intersexed on Passions. What is that? You know, that, when, that's you... when we have both hookups. That is correct. Oh, no lonely nights there. When someone tells you to go screw yourself, I guess, you I just, don't know. <laughs> you head to the bathroom. <laughs> well, unfortunately, when I have fun on this show, it seems that the hour goes by really quick. The hour hasn't, but this half of the segment is. So I know that there are a lot of people who are maybe listening and uh, want to know how they can get more from you, whether they can follow you on Twitter, where you, they can catch you next. Give all of your your shenanigans where people can find out more about you so that uh, they can track you down okay well you know i'm on the greatest show on vh1 every week so just uh we're it's all uh different topics and whatnot so just look up the greatest show and we also do installments of uh 40 most that's also the greatest show so um they can catch me there every week on vh1 and uh we're in high rotation so just go to your tivo and look up the greatest um uh, also, I'm on uh, Twitter, BD Freeman, forward, um, what is it, uh, 
www.twitter forward dash BD Freeman, uh, and uh, the same thing with Facebook, forward, Facebook forward slash BD Freeman. And I, um, I always uh, answer everybody back who, uh, who writes me. It might take me a little time, but I do. I definitely give back to everybody. So. And we're going to post all of those links and information for everybody out there so you can get them something. If they do follow you on Twitter, they'll know in the, the couple of seconds and that we have left is you do have another soap connection. You were sort of hanging out and buddying up with former Young and the Restless star, Nia Peoples. Yeah, Nia, that's my girl. <laughs> you know, my favorite Nia Peoples, Peoples uh, episode was when she slapped Neil, though. Remember that? <laughs> yes. Slap the dog shit out of Neil. <laughs> See, you know, and it's funny. Everybody knows something about the soaps, whether they think they do, whether they know they do. You can stop anybody on the street and someone has some sort of soap uh, memory or, or favorite story to tell. It's true because, you know what, the thing is, is that if you happen to be home when the soaps are on and you turn to one, you're, you get sucked in. I mean, they... They, they're, I mean, they are vortexes of television. You know what I mean? Like they are, they're so good at sucking you in. If you are somebody who has never, ever watched a soap, if you turn it, I'm telling you, if you turn it on for five seconds, you're gonna, you, you'll stay and watch. Like you'll, ha- you'll have to watch it. You know, it's, it, it just, it, it sucks you in. They're so good at that. So everybody has like at least some knowledge of a soap where they were sucked in and had to watch it, you know? Well, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out uh, to be with us today and to make us laugh. It's a great way to kick off Friday. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so we need to go to break. We're going to come back on the other side with the biographer of William J. Bell, the creator of The Young and the Restless and the Bold and the Beautiful, Michael Maloney. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back. Voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hey, soap fans. Are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? For 15 years, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. Take a sneak peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews or share your thoughts with soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll be able to know who slept with who and who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much more. Whether you watch The Young and the Restless, General Hospital, All My Children, or any of the other soaps, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. You are tuned in today with Soap Central Live, starring Dan J. Kroll. Do you have a question, a comment, or you just want to dish? 
please call in at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or drop a line to radio at SoapCentral.com. Now, back to our stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Soap Central Live. I'm your host, Dan Kroll. We are now going to talk about something that still remains very much secretive, the behind-the-scenes goings-on on our favorite soaps. And two of the soaps that still remain on the air are not only the most popular in the United States, but one is also the most popular soap in the world. Of course, I'm talking about The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful. There is a new biography that has just been released that tells the story of the creator of YNR and B&B, William J. Bell. The book was written by Michael Maloney, as well as Lee Philip Bell, the wife of the late William J. Bell. It's an interesting book that goes behind the scenes, talks about how these two soaps were created and everything else that we can expect from... Uh, I guess uh, uh, one of those tell-all books, but something that you'll find out as we talk, it's not a scandalous story. This is very much uh, a tale of reverence for someone who had a phenomenal impact in the world of daytime drama. So let me welcome Michael Maloney to the show. Thank you first for taking time out to chat with me. I appreciate that. I always love an opportunity to talk to other people about soaps. Me too. So I guess the first thing that people are going to want to know is what is your history with soaps? How did you get involved in our wacky world of soaps and you know which are your favorite? All the good stuff. Oh, sure. Um, <clears throat> well, like all of us, I, I was kind of introduced to them by my mom who was watching them when and they were on the house when I was growing up um, on the East Coast. And this was before VCRs, so I was pretty much restricted to the shows that were on by the time I could get home from school. So I saw a lot of Another World when Harding LeMay was writing it and Paul Rausch was producing. Um, and then I uh, got onto the general hospital craze and then um, started following, I found that I started following writers around, um, like uh, Doug Marland when he went from um, general hospital to guiding light. Mm-hmm. Um, I practically broke the knob off, kind of switching <laughs> back and forth between. Um, and it was kind of ironic because uh, The Young and the Restless was on from 12.30 to 1.30 um, while I was in school. It, it was one of the shows that I got into a little bit later. Um, by the time I came on to it, I think the transition that Bill was affecting between the um, the Brooks and the Fosters to the Williams and the Abbots and more of the Newmans um, was when I started watching uh, more on a regular basis. Um, and after college, I wanted to work in soap operas, and I had interviews in New York. Nothing ever panned out, so I came out to L.A. and worked in the guest relations department at CBS, where I had exposure to um, The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful, which had just started up, and then... Um, I uh, was fortunate enough to work on the production staff of The Bold and the Beautiful for a couple of years. And while I was doing that, um, I was approached um, by an editor at one of the soap opera publications who offered me a job as an associate editor. And that was in a pre-internet era when there were about maybe 13, 14 shows on the air. So it was a very different time. And, um, and I've, I've been in the soap press ever since. 
Well, I'm I'm sitting here scribbling notes feverishly because there's something that made me laugh. First, you mentioned VCRs, so I'm sure some of our younger listeners were Googling, what's a VCR? Then you talked about a knob on a television. I'm sure we have some listeners who are like, wait a minute, there was a knob on a television? What is that about? You know, uh, I even I even write, wrote that in the book um, where, where I talk about, you know, when Y&R started, it was, um, you know, Bill worked at getting people to turn the knob to make the <laughs> Y&R, and... After I wrote that, I, I, I put in parentheses, ask your grandparents, kids. <laughs> I don't know if it needs to be grandparents. I still vaguely remember uh, televisions with a knob. But since we uh, you segued into the book, let's talk about how did it come to be that you wrote The Young and Restless Life of William J. Bell? And, of course, we want to know, let everybody know where they can pick up a copy. Um, it's available now at Barnes & Noble. I was just in there myself the other day, and it was there at Barnes & Noble, and it is available there. Um, and I know people have been ordering on Amazon. It was supposed to ship, I think, on June 1st, but now it, I just checked, um, and I believe it's shipping uh, in a, maybe today or a couple of days from now. I'm not sure. But it is available for order at uh, Amazon.com and VN.com for Barnes & Noble. Um, so how did the book come about? Yes. How did, how did you uh, come to be involved with the book? How did, were you approached? Uh I was. Lee Philip Bell called me in February of 2009, and I had uh, been her assistant at The Bold and the Beautiful um, back in the early 90s um, before I went off into the media, and we always stayed in touch, and I would send her copies of things that I'd written, and we always maintained a, a good, positive relationship. Um, and she called me and um, uh asked me what my thoughts were on, on writing Bill's biography. And I immediately thought a lot of things. I thought this is a great honor and why hasn't someone done this before? And this is a terrific idea. And, um, we, we had lunch to, um, you know, uh, give it more, um, a, a more concrete, uh, feel to it. Um, and, uh, we ironed out all the paperwork and then I started, uh, writing and interviewing people for the book. And it was, it, it's my first book. So I was, it was a little bit daunting, but it was very helpful in that a lot of the legwork and groundwork, um, that I think someone else might do for a book where they may have written several biographies if they didn't know the, um, topic that well. I figured that's where I had a leg up because I've been, um, working as a journalist in the soap opera world for, for about 20 years now. Well, you had mentioned you are wondering why someone hadn't thought to do this sooner. The good question of that is, you know, we hear so much about the death of the soap opera, so what's the reason for writing the book now? You know, it's funny. I, um, a couple of things. I, I go to the Television Critics Association press tour every summer and uh, in winter and every, in any panel where there's someone remotely connected to the soap opera world, questions are come up about it. So I think it's pretty, still pretty topical. I think because of what's happening to the genre, the soaps have been in the press for a lot and that's kind of bringing attention to them in, in, a, in a strange way at a time where, uh, you know, we're having to say goodbye to a lot of beloved series. Um, Lee, um, Lee and Bill's grandchildren, the first one was born in 1995, and Bill passed away about 10 years later, and there are eight grandchildren that came along every, you know, couple of years in between, and, and so a lot of them, while they may have 
vague memories of him, the, the, the younger ones, I don't think they, they were able to fully appreciate what their, what not only their grandfather, but their grandmother and, and parents' contributions are to television and, and specifically the soap opera world. So I think Lee wanted to have a book written so that they could um, learn about their grandfather and, and learn about their parents. And, and also, you know, I made sure to include Lee's time as a, um, a broadcaster uh, talk show host who had a daily talk show in Chicago from the mid-50s through the mid-80s in, in Chicago. That was one of the things that when I was reading the, the book, and I just got my copy the other day, so I'm still not all the way through, but one of the things that I noticed that surprised me was that when the Bells decided to move to Los Angeles, uh, you know, Lee had to pretty much step aside, I guess, from, from doing her show. Do you think that that, uh, that was a challenge in that time, or do you think that it was more of a looking forward to, wow, this is another great adventure, we can leave this behind and move forward with something else? Um, you know, I think Lee felt that the, the, the latter uh, version you gave, um, you know, it was very exciting to come out here and start up a soap opera. Um, but clearly, you know, I, I think just, I don't think very, anyone would deny that it was a huge sacrifice on her part to essentially give up um, a job where she did something different every day and was kind of the toast of Chicago. And, and as, um, as uh, people in Chicago have told me, she was the first lady of Chicago TV. Um, to give all that up, and as exciting as it was to start up a soap opera and see your children get into the business, um, I think that uh, it, it was a huge sacrifice, but she is incredibly modest about it and has never, um, never indicated that it was any great sacrifice, but, but I can only imagine it, it was. I think that you're aware of this. Uh, certainly everyone who will listen to this is as well. Soap fans and I guess maybe even the soap media to a certain extent, we think that we've seen and heard it all. So I have to ask, was there anything that you discovered while writing this book that was a surprise to you? There were a couple of things. Um, there was a, there's a chapter in there called uh, A Bold Move. Um, which is not really about the bold and the beautiful, but it's more about the young and the restless, and it details um, Bill's uh, partnership with uh, Columbia, now called Sony, um, in terms of uh, in terms of I guess how the pie was divided up with um, the, the financial pie uh, was divided up between Sony and, and Bill and. Um, that was going on, I, I want to say, in the late 80s. And um, that's when I was uh, working as a in the guest relations department at, at CBS. And many of my shifts during the week would involve working on the sets of Bold and Beautiful and Young and Restless. And, and I never really heard any of that trickle down to the set. Um, and, and I tended to keep my ears open back then. So I, I was pretty surprised about that. Um, and And I... I have a very uh, very unique memory in that I, I tend to remember a lot of things. So I, I think that um, I think that uh, for me it's all been one big timeline um, that that I've pretty much kept in my head all these years. A lot of people I've, I've shown the book to and who've read it, who work in the business, um, you know, don't work in the media, so they're not geared to kind of remembering things the way we would be. <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. But um, so I, I'm hoping that there are a lot of things in there that are fresh and new to a lot of people. But for me, um, you, you know, again, this was this was a case of taking all my research that I'd already done and, and kind of giving it a timeline. Something that I've noticed when you're talking timelines, unfortunately, over the past year or so, we've lost a lot of really high-profile people in the world of entertainment. And it seems that shortly after their passings, people always step forward with some sort of scandalous claim or, or other over-the-top stories. And that really didn't seem to happen when Bill Bell died. Uh, even to this day, you hear people when they speak of him, it's, it's always in such, uh, with such yeah. respect and such uh, revering of him. You know, why do you think that is? Believe me, I kept asking, come on, there's got to be some dirt. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, you know, uh, he gave an interview, and I, I did not include this in the book, um, but he gave an interview in the mid-80s to a magazine, and he said, and it was when, it was after Bold and Beautiful was starting up and, and the whole family was getting involved in the business. And Bill said, you know, long before reality TV families were around, he, he said that if if we, the Bells, were, you know, a, a TV show, we wouldn't get a big share. You know, and I thought that was a really funny way of putting it. Um, uh, you know, he was just a good guy. I mean, I talked to a lot of people for this book, and when a, a lot of times after people pass on, um people will say things that they might not have said before. And these and I talked to people who had long since left the organization and, and, you know, have no horse in the race today. So they could have just kind of said, Well let me tell you and but they didn't. Um yeah, I talked to Fred Silverman and he uh he could not have been more complimentary about Bill Bell um as were many, many, many other people. Something that caught my attention early on in the book is a, a, a statement, and the quote is that Bill Bell believed in the sanctity of never revealing what was going to happen until viewers saw it on the air. How Correct. was that possible? How is it possible to keep secrets when things are taped so far in advance? Well, you know, and I put this in the book. I, I think when when I was growing up and I would pick up the soap mags, um, the soap mags, I usually hate that term, the soap opera publications. Um, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we'd see Christmas party photos in March, and we'd see, um, you know, coverage of the Emmys kind of in the fall. And and the, the deadlines were so far off. You know, they were months and months ahead. And there was a time where the media really couldn't um, tip storyline. I mean, yes, there were daily newspapers and, and weekly tabloids, I guess, but I don't think they had any interest in giving that type of stuff away. And and the magazines couldn't. And I think as as time went on and deadlines shifted and things were able to get out more early, then um, that allowed you know spoilers to get out. Now we have the Internet and Twitter. One of my favorite quotes in the whole book is... Um, from Linda Sussman, a very respected journalist, and she said, um, Bill would have hated all that Twitter stuff. And I just laughed because he would have. He would have hated all that Twitter stuff. He, would, he, he wouldn't want the actors giving plot points away, even when, even when someone tweets that they're working. You know, I'm going to work today. Well, okay, we know you're not the one killed off. I mean, 
or, or they could be unless it's a flashback or something or, or, or whatever. But, um, you know, social media has really uh, blown the lid off any kind of um, any kind of serialized storytelling. So how do you balance that then between allowing someone to say something that seems very innocuous as I'm going to work today when, you know, something like that could, as you said, well, that's not the person who's getting killed off. That's not the person who is has been fired. How do you balance the two? I I, I truly think that if, um, you know, storylines are compelling and the characters are are what they're doing is so riveting that I think that the audience is going to want to tune in anyway. You know, um, I I think that it's only if they're bored are they going to start to play armchair uh, storyteller, you know, and say, well, hmm, if this person's not working as much, maybe this means that. You know, the shows should really just be enjoyed and not, not dissected. Well, when uh, here's an here's an example. I mean, I watch um, Revenge, which I'm hooked on, and um, you know they, they're very good about not letting spoilers get out. And um, I don't really, you know, uh, people were criticizing that there there was no way that you know Sammy the dog could have survived, you, you know, from the lead heroine's childhood up until now and into young adulthood, <laughs> mid young adulthood, however old she is, and that's probably very true. But but the point is. You know, when you're so into the story, you're, you're gonna you're gonna suspend that, uh, which is a little bit of a different answer um, to your specific question. But I think if people are into the story, they're not going to um, they're not going to be uh, you know taking every little tweet and and analyzing it. I, I think that that does take away some of the the fun of it too. I mean, I don't know that anyone has ever believed that. Soaps were meant to be 100% realistic from, you know, from the start of the hour to the end of the hour. And part of it is uh, sitting back and, and allowing them to do what they're going to do and just enjoying it for what it is. And certainly that was a hallmark of all of the Bell soaps. Correct. I think that, um, you know, you want to, I mean, every time that, you know, uh, Catherine would go over and visit Jill at Chabot or, or Jill would go over to the mansion, you know, you knew you were going to be in for a great scene where those two women would go at it. Or, or if, if Stephanie was going to go over to the Logan house or, or, um, going way back. Um, but, but you knew that, that it was going to build to a great showdown. And, and that's what you'd tune in to see. Well, people are still tuning in to see the soaps. I mean, The Young and the Restless is still number one. The Bold and the Beautiful is the most watched soap in the world. But as you mentioned earlier, you know, we've lost, what, four soaps in the past three years or so. So what do you think that Bill Bell would have to say about the state of soaps today? Um, <clears throat> I think he'd have a lot to say. And I think that, um, you know, I, I was um, fortunate enough to be present uh in New York City in, the, in 1998 at the, at the Bell's uh, pre-Emmy uh, press reception that they had, or nominee reception at the, at the, that they had at the Rainbow Room. And the year I was there, Bill um, announced his retirement. And um, I, I had kept my original cassette tape from, um, from that day, so I had it to draw on for when I was doing the book um, and, and could get his words exactly. And prior to his... Um, 
to his announcement about his retirement and, and his loving testimonial to, to Lee, um, which had the waiters and waitresses in tears and, and, and many of the attendees as well, um, Bill talked about what was going on in the genre. And he felt that, you know, storylines were slipping away from what they, what they'd been and what they should be. And, um, he, he was kind of putting out a warning saying, you know, this is what the story should be about. And, um, and, and this is how the audience should be engaged. And then he said, enough said. And he made his point. And, um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, an executive, uh, I, I read that to him and he said, well, it, it sounds like they didn't listen to him. And I thought, well, yeah. You know, and it was it was emotional. Uh, I guess it would be what three years, four years ago now, when the Bold and Beautiful picked up its first daytime Emmy for outstanding drama series, and and um, Bradley Bell was was obviously overcome. So I mean, there certainly are things that he would still be very proud of. I would have to think. I was writing the book, um, when, and it was coming along nicely um, around the time of the two thousand and nine. Uh, daytime Emmys, and, and I, I said it at an after party to Brad. I said, well, thanks for my epilogue. You know, this is terrific. This is how I can end the book. So, And then and, um, the book took a, a little bit longer to write after that, and I really thank Brad for continuing to win all those Emmys because uh, he helped me, me you know, with, with my epilogue. Jokes aside, it really does make for a nice one. I, I think Bill would be very proud of everybody. And there are there are some wonderful photos in the book. And again, it's as you said, it's easy enough for people to get their hands on. They can go into their their local major books uh, retailer. They can go online and buy it. So there's no reason for any fan. And I would have to say, it's not just even for fans who've watched The Young and the Restless and The Bold and Beautiful. This is something that really is insightful for anyone who's ever watched a soap, regardless of you know what network or, or what time slot. Um. Thank you for, for all that. Um, you know, the photos were very interesting. I wanted, I could do a whole book of photos on, on the Bell dynasty and soap operas. Um, and we had about, um, there's some on the, on the back dust jacket. And, um, we have about approximately 30 photos in, in the photo section. And I, I must have started off with, you know, a hundred that I wanted to include. And, um, Lee, uh, and, Lorley Bell and I went through several scrapbooks that the Bells had, and um, many of the photos were never have never been seen before. And then others are iconic um, cast photos mm-hmm. that um, uh, hopefully haven't been seen recently. Um, and, and I know the day's cast photo that Bill appeared in with Betty Corday I had never seen before. Um, and and I, I think that each photo tells a story and, and is. His, um, I think his, his story is told in photos as well in the book. And, um, and yes, um, I'm hoping that this is a book that all soap fans will love, um, not just fans of The Young and the Restless and The Bold and the Beautiful, but also fans of Days of Our Lives. Um, and then there's also um, some um, great soap opera history in there with some pages from Erna Phillips' unpublished biography. And uh, there are there is talk about um, as well turns another world, and I even you know throughout the course of my um, my research and and interviewing people, I would come across um, people in the soap opera world who had never worked for Bill and had worked at other shows, and I um, I would say to them, you know, I'm writing this book on Bill Bell, and I, I 
I wanted to get maybe um, an insider slash outsider's perspective of him. People who had never worked for him, but certainly knew of him and and got their impressions on um, on uh, their 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 impressions of Bill Bell. And and I reached out to uh, Francesca James and Michael E. Knight and um, and a few others who were very uh, very. Um, very supportive and, and wonderful with their quotes. The Young and Restless Life of William J. Bell. I'm enjoying it. Michael, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me about this today. You're so welcome. Thank you for, for all your support. I know that there are many of you out there who can't wait to get your hands on a copy of The Young and Restless Life of William J. Bell by Michael Maloney and Lee Phillip Bell. So we're going to make it easy for you to do that. If you follow us on Twitter at Soap Central Live, we'll be tweeting a direct link where you can go and pick up your copy of the book. And just a reminder, it is also available in a Kindle form. So if you do not want to have a hardcover copy of the book and prefer to have something that you can take with you easily to the beach or on an airplane or anywhere else you can go, you can also get a Kindle version. If you're not on Twitter, though, we'll also be posting the link to buy the book on our Facebook page and, of course, at SoapCentral.com slash radio. While you're over there, you'll also be able to check out more than 120 episodes of Soap Central Live, all for free. So check out a show that had to do with your favorite soap or maybe a show that had interviews with stars from your favorite soap. You can stream them. You can send them to your handheld device. You can pretty much anywhere that you can listen to music, you can listen to old episodes of Soap Central Live. And again, it's totally free to do so. Coming up in the next two weeks, we are going to be focusing on the daytime Emmys with expert predictions. We'll also be unveiling next week one of our special celebrity correspondents on the red carpet at this year's daytime Emmys. It's someone who's been on the show before. You'll find out who that is. And we will also be talking about who we think is going to win a daytime Emmy. That will be not just next week, but the week after, which, of course, is the day before the daytime Emmys. Find out from industry insiders who they think will win a daytime Emmy and why. You'll also hear my predictions and find out why I picked who I picked. Of course, it doesn't always necessarily mean that they're going to win, uh, but it'll be a great time. So I want to thank all of you for listening today. I also want to thank Michael Maloney and B.D. Freeman for dropping by and chatting with us today. Of course, we'll be back next week, just like we are every week, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, for another edition of Soap Central Live. Join us next time for the continuing story of all your favorite soaps. Tune in next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Soap Central Live on the Voice America Variety Channel.